The Teardown is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NASCAR ticket prices tend to drop right before the race starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all of the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have already downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the race. There may even be some Phoenix tickets on there for this upcoming weekend or Homestead. You never know, so make sure to check it out. It's a quick, simple, easy process to navigate to tap checkout. No problem. So head to the App Store or the Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. everybody welcome back to another episode of the teardown my name is jeff fluff our motorsports writers here for the athletic and we're going to talk about the texas race if you heard last week's podcast i did successfully live long enough to record this texas podcast so here we are back again i wasn't sure if i was going to make it but uh jordan so happy to be back with you how are you doing I'm glad you're well. Your adventures getting from Oregon to Colorado were uh, harrowing. I saw your photos. I talked to you a little bit, and I am glad you're here. Yeah, I don't know. It was sort of a it was sort of a blur, where you know the whole the whole thing took a long time, and it just somehow passed and it was over. Sort of like this Texas race, I would say. Um, so where you just <laughs> almost uh, almost four hours. Uh, needless, unnecessary four hours in my opinion, but we can get into that. But, uh, ultimately the result was that Kevin Harvick ends up back where he, I would guess almost say belongs because it's his fifth time in the championship race. Now, after he wins Texas fall race for the third straight year, um, almost a, uh, a result you could probably see coming in some ways. I don't know, but, but, you know, I, I will say maybe I was a little bit surprised just cause I would have thought the Gibbs cars not the SHR cars would would dominate, I guess. But here we are with another Harvick victory. Uh, did did that catch you off guard at all? No, I mean this is his third straight win in this race. Remember, there was a time not too long ago when the when the question was is when is Kevin Harvick going to finally win a race at, at Texas? Well, he he does it on a regular basis now. This is his third straight year he's won this race. There he's been very good on mile and a half racetracks this season. And like you, I was a little surprised that we didn't see more out of the Gibbs cars today. Um, Stuart Haas Racing certainly brought it with a 1-2-3 finish, and you mentioned Harvick reaching the Final Four. This is this is really shaping up to be a very familiar Final Four. You've got Martin Truex Jr., who's been there, I believe, what, four, four times now? Uh, you've got Kevin Harvick, who's going back again, who's only missed one of these. It looks like Kyle Busch is in a good spot to maybe get there as well, so... And then you've got Logano right now too. So Logano's been there a handful of times and won the championship last year. So this is this playoff is taking on a very familiar feel to it. Yeah, it is so odd how I mean you can mix things up, you can have uh, different rules packages, all that stuff, and ultimately after all is said and done, it it looks at least as of now, unless something crazy happens at Phoenix, which crazy things have happened, but it looks mm-hmm. as of now that the exact same four drivers as last year will be in this year's playoff at Homestead once again, what the championship at Homestead. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's these, these guys are familiar faces, um, especially Truex, Kyle Busch and Harvick. And I think that ultimately 
when when we look back at, at this era of the the elimination format, um, you know, we used to sort of say, at least, you know, I, I thought for a while it was going to be, how do we measure success in this era where, um, you know, it, it's it's not the true season long championship anymore, you know, and, and the playoffs has come in. How, how will we look at the best drivers of the mm-hmm. era? And I thought that it would be chase appearances or playoff appearances. But now with, you know, 16 drivers getting in everything, it's not like 10 drivers. So I don't think that will be the, the true measurement. I think that even more than championships in some ways, saying that a driver made it to the final four will yeah. be the measuring stick of how great their career was in some ways. Um, just because that will be something consistent over, over time, at least if they don't change the format again, I guess. But so when you think about Kevin Harvick making his fifth appearance now, Truex, Kyle Busch, I mean, yeah, you look back at this, this little generation here, uh, mini generation, I guess, because it, it hasn't been around since that long, since 2014. But I think that this, they, you know, those have been the best drivers and teams and they keep, you know, finding a way to navigate this format and make it. I agree everything with what what you said there. And the fact that you have to be great, you have to be a great driver. You have to be a great team. You have to be able to withstand the pressure and the the situations you're placed in to get to Homestead, which is a one race, you know, finale. And there's so much that can happen in that race where if you win or lose the championship, I don't think it's, it's fair to say, you know, it should be a mark on your career. If you don't win the championship in a given year, even if you're dominant, like we've seen with other drivers, just because you just getting there is an accomplishment of itself and you don't know what's going to happen in that race. So I, I do think you kind of got to recalculate a little bit on how you, you look at this, but it, it says to me is that when you've got a guy like Kevin Harvick, that his team year after year, they, they thrive on these situations. And even coming in this year, where it was a lot of talk about Joe Gibbs racing and how good they were and they were going to win all these races and they you know looked like they may run away with the championship. Harvick and company love to kind of be put in that corner and kind of to prove everybody wrong and to stick it to their detractors. And this is Harvick and Rodney Childers doing it again and saying, you know what, we are as good as these guys, these Gibbs cars. We don't win maybe as many races as we should and maybe we have a few more mistakes on our side of things than that's probably acceptable. But the fact is, is that we go out there and they do it. And if you look at what Kevin Harvick has done in these playoffs, it hasn't been sexy. He hasn't led a ton of laps. He, he hasn't been in position to win a bunch of races, but they've been good. And they've had only one race outside of the top 10, and that was at Talladega. So to me, this is a team and a driver um, that is, is in a good spot, and they're going to a racetrack at Homestead which is a can be a really good racetrack for them and has a lot of similar characteristics to to what we saw today at Texas. So, you know, we've talked before that it seemed kind of a foregone conclusion almost that it was going to be Joe Gibbs racing and Toyota maybe winning this championship. I, I just don't know if that's the case anymore. Wow. Well, that's the first time you may have said that in a, in a while on this podcast. But it going back to your point, um, you know, about, about these guys navigating the playoffs rather than just going out and, and – um, sort of performing and, and, you know, it's just, it's so, it's still so hard to wrap my head around it because even in the chase era, when it was the 10 races, um, it, it sort of demanded excellence. Like you'd have years mm-hmm. where Jimmy Johnson was just like, I mean, I think there was a couple times where they had, you know, single digit average finish in the, in the chase. And that's what was how you had to win it. I mean, you had to be consistently excellent and now you're having guys, I mean, you, you, you they take advantage of the format you know, a guy like Harvick, as you laid out, um, hasn't had the greatest playoffs. It's been fine. N- nothing, 
you know, incredible. Joey Logano at Texas today um, gets his first top five of the playoffs, and he's in great position to make it to Homestead. Kyle yeah. Busch, his struggles are well documented during this playoff run, and he's in great position to make it. Um, and, you know, Truex has, has had, you know, a great playoffs, but the one guy who, you know, you think has had, you know, pretty decent playoffs overall, Denny Hamlin, and a great season, one of his career years statistically. Yeah. Uh, statistically uh, he's looking like he might completely miss out on it. Uh, so it's really hard to sort of uh, understand what the strategy is and, and how you get there these days. Um, it, it, it's just sort of evolving all the time. No, I agree. And you look at a guy like Danny Hamlin, and we've said before, this is his best year to win a championship, at least I think since 2010 in Everything that's happened to him this year, it seems like this is a driver and a team that was poised to to go out in there and do it, and all of a sudden they find themselves on the wrong side of, of the cut line going into Phoenix. They're twenty four points out. They you know they came in today 24 po- 20 points up, and now you know they, they, it swung the other way. And barring a win at Phoenix, and I know you can point your way in and everything, but I think that's still a tall task against the the competition they're going to be going against. He's going to need a win. And that's not going to be easy to do at Phoenix. I mean, they can obviously do it. They're, they're good. They've been good just about everywhere this season. But that is a track that Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick own. And if you have an opportunity, if you're those guys to race for the win against Hamlin, you're not, you're not going to cut him any breaks because you don't want to see him get to Homestead because you know he could win the championship. So that, it, it's a very tall task that Denny Hamlin has ahead of him. And it, it's some aspect, it, it maybe is unfair because he's had a brilliant season. And, and really, if you look at his playoffs, he's been, he's been great in the playoffs. And he just had a bad, he had his worst moment in the playoffs at the absolute worst time. I mean, imagine being Denny Hamlin, where you have this great season and you're really talking about championship and thinking about Homestead, what, five wins or something. Um, Mm -hmm. And then uh, one race at Texas where they put an incredible amount of this traction compound on the track that is making all sorts of wrecks happen in stage one. And you slip up and you spin out, don't hit anything, slide through the grass, and your championship may be over. I mean, your entire season comes down to pj1 and grass at texas it's just uh i mean gosh that would be really really tough to to swallow i don't know yeah no i agree i mean it does seem a little cruel maybe a little unfair but i will say this if you look at the other guys in the playoffs today how many of those guys had issues uh with the the, with the compound i mean i know elliot did but if you look at you know most everyone else was able to get through it and persevere and the guy who won this race today Kevin Harvick had to come from the back because he had a penalty and he had some pit strategy there that was put him into in a kind of a vulnerable spot in the middle portion of the race and i look at this and say you have to be you knew what the circumstances were going into this race everybody knew it was going to be hard to pass everyone knew that the track was going to be lack grip and you, you have to know this and you have to say, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to push it here at this part of the race. I'm going to be smarter and I'm not going to put myself in a vulnerable spot where something can happen. And it's unfortunate that it happened to Hamlin, but that's also the circumstances. And that's part of navigating this this wonky, the sometimes wonky playoff format. Well, uh, I, I could buy that argument. I mean, in some cases, one thing I can't buy as much <laughs> is uh, being you know, sort of screwed by somebody else's intentional caution during a pit strategy. I think that's, I mean, it, it, it seemed like yeah. Bubba Wallace certainly spun out on purpose. He, he spun the first time. I'm not saying that was on purpose. And then, 
you know, he's limping along, and it seemed like he spun it around again. Um, Joey Logano's spin at Martinsville, that was one thing. I think this was much even more blatant. Um, you know, as far as I know, at least as we do this podcast right after the race, I haven't seen any any tweets or anything about action NASCAR may take or Bubba being called the hauler or anything like that to cause that caution. So I guess he's they're just going to go on. But Kyle Larson obviously upset with it because – that messed up his pit strategy. Is there any justification sort of like, well, you can, you can justify Hamlin being in that position. Do you, do you blame, put any blame on Larson's team for pitting too early and not waiting out longer to see if somebody would cause a caution or anything like that? Or, or you, you uh, feel bad for Larson? I feel bad for Larson. It, it sucks that your day is ruined by, you know, uh, bad luck and something out of your control. I will say this, Richard Petty Motorsports did tweet, I believe a photo of the tire that was flat on Wallace's car that they say caused the spin or caused him to spin. So maybe it's much ado about nothing. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I buy, I totally, I, I don't disagree with them or I, I'm the, their the initial spin, I, I believe was, I'll buy that it was caused by a flat tire. But when he gets going again, the way he spun out just seemed kind of uh, a little iffy. That's, that's, I don't, I don't dispute that the tire was flat, but this, the way he spun out, I mean, he just kind of looped it there. I don't know. No, I, I, don't, I don't disagree. It was, it, was, it was fishy, and it comes off a, a race at Martinsville where you had Joey Logano's spin, which a lot of people over the radio when it happened were looking at it going, wait a second. He, he did that intentionally. Now, you know, whether he did or not doesn't matter. NASCAR didn't do anything. They ruled that he was fine. And, you know, you look at Clint Boyer last week at Martinsville. Clint had a tire going down, and he waited an awful long time to pit. And it did not go unnoticed by Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern and some other people that he waited for a caution to come out for debris that he was putting on the racetrack before he pitted. So it's unfortunate. And, you you know, I guess my question is, is how do you rule if you're NASCAR when it's intentional, a guy spawn, and how do you determine that? Unless somebody comes out and says, like, they, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. did in, you know, at Bristol one year and says, yeah, I, I spawn and caused that caution. I, I just don't know how you, you can come out and say, we think he, 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 spawned, he spawned intentionally and we're going to penalize him. And you have to do it in the middle of the race, and especially at the end there, that's tough to do. I, it's, I, I continually say I don't want NASCAR to make ball and strike calls, and I feel like that would be a big balls and strikes call to make, especially uh, on this. And then how do you reward, how do you go back and say to Larson, yeah, we're going to penalize Bubba, but we're not going to be able to do anything to you. I just... It's a it's a slippery slope to me, and it's just something I, I just don't know how you can officiate correctly on a consistent basis. Well, I think that, you know, there's no way you could make it up to Larson at that point in the moment, certainly. But what you could do is send a message that if you're going to do this, uh, you know, we're, we're going to make it so it's not worth your while. I mean, because ultimately it was worth his while, right, because he he's able to, you know, keep his position or, you know, not lose too many laps or whatever. Um, if they say, Hey, you know what? This is a playoff race. Uh, you're parked. You know, you are, you are parked for the rest yeah. of this race. Then all of a sudden future drivers go, ah, maybe not so worth it to, uh, spin out there. You know what I mean? Or, sure. or maybe yeah. I should limp it back. So it's not something that could really be officiated, uh, correctly maybe today. Um, or, or, you know, to, to benefit Larson or to save Larson. But in the, you know, if you, if you send a message that that's not cool, 
Um, and you know, you, maybe you're wrong or something. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it turns out, you know, but they've, they've got to make those calls. I, I don't want them to be in a position now where they've had two straight weeks in playoff races of potentially letting iffy spins go by setting up, going into two, the two most important races of the year. If you think about the championship, two most important races coming up and all of a sudden, is this the wild, wild West for, letting cautions go or letting spins go that are iffy. I mean, you don't want this to happen at Homestead. Um, no. You know, you could have Kyle, Carl Edwards uh, retire all over again if you have a iffy caution. Like, you know, because this is, this is what people race their entire year for, and if this is how you're determining your championship, it's not good. No, I agree. It's a bad look, and you don't want this. I, I just – I question of how you're going to be able to determine who spun intentionally and who didn't spin intentionally – and to me, if you look at the, you know, look at Logano last week and you look at Wallace this week, uh, tell me how they're really that different. They look kind of the same. So if you're going to penalize it across the board, I, I guess it's just what happens when a guy legitimately has an issue and spins, but NASCAR says, no, we, we don't think you spun uh, as an accident. It was intentional. I, I just... I, I just get worried about these situations that it's just it's gonna it's gonna snowball and you're gonna start seeing guys get penalized when they they shouldn't frankly be penalized yeah yeah no I, I I could listen to that argument as well I mean there's no no easy answer but uh they need to they need to do something or look yeah. into it more or make some sort of a statement that hey this is not cool but no, um, I agree maybe you know it's yeah. one of those things you just say in the drivers meeting or you say to the drivers hey listen you know we've had some questionable incidents the last few weeks, but we are, you know, maybe just give a very stern warning and, and go from there. And, and hopefully that curbs it. But I, I, well, I don't know, you know, that yeah, it's tough. I mean, <laughs> another solution is you could at least call him to the hauler and yeah. listen and he hear what he had to say afterwards and then say, okay, well now you're going to start, uh, you're going to start next week from pit road. So how do you feel about that yeah, well, or something like that? Yeah. So but, even if you don't want to penalize in the moment, as I had suggested, at least call them to the holler and say, all right, guys, what's your, what's your explanation here? Why'd this happen? Why'd you do this? And if they say, you know, if you buy it after that, then you say, okay. And, and if, and if you go, no, these guys, no, it's, we don't buy this. Then you make a judgment, but that's the, that's part of the job of officiating this. Right. I mean, you just, no, yeah. anyway. I, I like that idea. I, I like that idea a lot that as you're talking about it, if, if doing it after the fact and not in the middle of the race and, and you know, not having to make that decision when you've got all, everything else going on, but having them come in, having them explain what happened, you can look at the uh, the uh, the data too, and, and look at the you know what the driver was doing inside the car if they're on the accelerator on the brake, and then you can go from there and issue a penalty. And if you feel, and if there was an issue where a driver gained a considerable advantage, like Logano last week still finished in the top ten, you can maybe issue a points penalty. You can do something after the fact. So I, I do like that idea of of doing it later, gathering the evidence, and then making a decision. Well, Jordan, as we know, disagreements sometimes make good <laughs> podcasts. And I know we had a disagreement during the race because we were texting. And uh, it was the moment where um, Harvick was tracking down teammate Eric Almirola trying to pass for the lead. And uh, I, I texted you because I thought, you know, look, no offense to Eric Almirola, but there's no freaking way here that Kevin Harvick's not going to get past him. Kevin Harvick with all his experience and hall of fame career and everything that's on the line, Eric Almirola is not going to be able to hold off Kevin Harvick. It's just not going to happen. So I asked you, is there any part of you that thought, Oh yeah, Har you know, he's not going to get by him here. Um, not only you, you said that SHR should have been on the radio telling him move over, let Harvick pass. Cause this is Harvick's hot for, 
shot for Homestead. I disagree with you on that because um, I, I am not a fan of team orders. I think that you have to give Almirola, even in the playoffs, Almirola and Suarez a, a chance to to win, especially when they haven't won regularly in their career. So defend yourself here and explain why you were okay with a team orders situation or wanted to be if there had been one. Well, I'll say this. Eric, if Eric would have been multi-seconds ahead, I'd, I, I would understand. I'd say, okay, it's his race. He he's obviously has the better car. He's outperforming the everyone else. He deserves to win this race. But in this situation, he was running. He had Kevin Harvick right on his bumper. Kevin Harvick, considering the stakes and everything that goes along with what a win represents and what it means for not just Kevin Harvick and the four team, but Stuart Haas Racing as an organization and everything that that brings with it, if he gets to Homestead and wins the championship, for the greater good of the company, you have to take one for the team if you're Eric Almirola and, and let your teammate go and win that race because that puts him in Homestead. That gives him a chance to win the championship. It's not fair to Eric. It's not fair to his sponsors. I get it. But again, you have to take a look back at the bigger picture here from 30,000 feet. And that the picture is we need Kevin Harvick to win this race. And you have to come on there and you have to be smart about this. Obviously, we, we know what happened in 2013 with Clint Boyer and scratching your arm and everything. But you can send some kind of you can make it known to Eric. Hey, if, hey, Kevin's on your bumper. He's got a really fast car. And, you know, hopefully that's something will click with Eric of you need to you need to let him go or even tell him before the race. You know, if we come on and say. Kevin's on your bumper. We're going to need to, you know, that that's a signal that you got to let him go. You you just, there is no reason that Eric should win that race. If they, if they are, if they are evenly matched and they have the same speeds, our, our Harvick is, is considerably faster. There's no reason why his teammates should not give him consideration. And we have seen it this year. We saw it in the playoffs at Dover when Kyle Larson lapped his teammate, Kurt Busch, and Kurt came on the radio and said, I'm going to play blocker now. And he proceeded to kind of hold up the cars that were that were chasing Larson. So we can all pretend that team owners and don't happen in, in in NASCAR. They happen. Now it doesn't happen to the same level of what we see in other forms of racing, but they certainly happen here. We saw it at Talladega with um, with manufacturers. So there there is a there, there, you know to pretend that it, this doesn't happen. This is not a thing. We, we, that's just that that's that's wrong. You're being naive. This is a thing. This happens. And again. For the company, you have one focus if you're Stuart Haas Racing, and that is getting Kevin Harvick into Homestead with a shot to win the championship. And if that means one of his teammates is not going to be able to win a race, I'm sorry, but that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I don't I don't think that it does happen, though, for the win. I mean, when you're talking about the lead, and there was so many laps to go still at that point, too. I mean, it's not even like it's the last five laps and it's like, oh, dude, dude, he needs the win, or it's the championship or whatever. Like, it's, it's not that kind of situation. Um, I mean, this was so far, you know, if, if Almirola truly had the faster car or at least fast enough car at that point to hold him off, I think there's no reason that you would come over the radio and say, Hey, get out of the way. You know, he need you, you have no idea whether it's going to be like five more late race restarts or overtime. And if you give up the position there, uh, that's, that's way too far down the road of manipulation and not in the spirit of true racing and in, in the rules. Um, that would have been a really bad look, I think. Um, I'm glad that didn't happen. Harvick was fast enough to pass him on his own. But I, I just think, yeah, okay, you could have uh, Kurt Busch, who's clearly not going to win at Dover, saying, okay, now my you know, my sole goal here is to block for Larson. Or you could have you know people saying, let's work together at Talladega. But to just say, hey, you know, give up your shot at the win to let this other guy win, 
uh, that's not, uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I, that would be, that's, that's too much, too much for me. So I, I get it. I understand. And your, your, your belief is going to be the popular sentiment among many people, I imagine. But if you, you know, you're talking about, you know, there's a lot of laps to go and you don't know what's going to happen. And I will say this, if I'm Kevin Harvick, I want to be in the lead as quick as I possibly can. And I want my teammate to give me that spot because I want to be able to control what happens on a restart. I want to be able to be the leader and dictate when I'm going to start the right restart the race. I want to be able to maybe be that first car down pit road. And if I can get in on a pit road, maybe a little bit quicker and smoother. So there's all these little things involved. And again, and that's it's tough. And it, this would certainly be unprecedented on some level because this hasn't happened where a driver's willingly given up a win for a teammate before. But you, I think if you're a teammate, I, I think there is a code or you kind of have an understanding of we, we may have to do something here to help our guys. And it's going to be something that the, the, everything we're seeing, what's happened in NASCAR the last few years is different. This playoff format is different. How they reward the champion is, is different. And that means things are evolving and things are changing. And with that means team strategy is evolving and it has to change. And part of that may mean having to sacrifice one of your drivers for the greater good of the company. Uh, Jordan, one thing that I definitely want to touch on uh, this, this race, uh, this was, this was really long race. And when I bring this up, I get a lot of blowback from people. So I'm bringing it up knowing that people are going to get mad and I'm probably going to even write about it in my top five. Maybe I, I don't know if I haven't made up my mind of what those five things are yet, but you know, people say when I, when I say races are too long, Oh, you know, you just want to go home earlier. You just blah, 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 blah. Well, first of all, I wasn't even at the race. So jokes on you, but, um, it, it's just, I, I just, this, this race did not need to, does not need to be 500 miles long. It just doesn't like, I could understand the tradition when you're going to make an argument for, Hey, the Coke 600, 600 miles. That's part of it. Part of the tradition, or even the, the Southern 500, you know, these are special, crown jewel type races on holiday weekends, blah, blah, blah. What's the tradition of the 500 mile playoff race at Texas, aside from being too long and often boring? I mean, that's, that's just does not, I, I just, uh, it's so, I'm just sitting there frustrated just watching this. Like this is just ridiculous. In in 2019 NASCAR does not need to be having four hour races. It's just, it's, I talk me out of this, Jordan. No, I'm not going to talk you out of it. I agree 100% with you. The, today's race was three hours and 44 minutes. That's way too long. Races should be just under three hours, I, and I am a firm believer in this. You don't mess with the da- Daytona 500. You don't mess with the Coke 600, Southern 500, and you could maybe talk me into the Brickyard 400. Those are races. Those distances should stay probably as is, though I, I could have an argument for the Coke 600 because I just don't think – the, the, the reasoning behind that of, you know, this is a test of man and machine. It just no longer applies anymore. 500 miles is a, is a, is a number from a bygone era when it used to mean something. It doesn't mean anything anymore. And as NASCAR tries to reassert itself in the sports landscape and get back television viewers and get people back in the grandstands, I, I think having races that are almost four hours is not the way to do it. There is a tight television window, and you can look at the numbers, which is about two and a half to three hours of what races should be. They do well. It, it Sports do well in that window. Every other sport is looking at ways 
to shorten up its its action to try to make it better for television viewers because they you, people have options and they are not apt to stick around and watch something where they feel the action is dragging and when you have a 500 mile race today that first stage had a lot going on in it and it was it was eventful there's no doubt about it but what look at stage two you tell me what happened in that stage that we 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 would have missed if this race would have been shorter. It didn't happen. I, I just don't see why that the races in general shouldn't be knocked down to. I don't know. I mean, you could even talk me into three hundred mile races for some of these cup guy, races at length because I, I think that is actually an ideal number at some of these racetracks. And when you go to racetracks like this, where the cars get strung out and passing can be a challenge. You, you, there is not an argument to be had for 500 mile race period. Well, I think that they're, they're very worried or scared to try it because even if you look at the Pocono double header lengths, which just recently came out, um, I was really optimistic when they did the double header thing that, Hey, we could, we could see a, a 300 miler as one of those, but mm-hmm. no, I mean, it's just, uh, I, I just think that they're like, Oh my gosh, we, we can't, we can't even experiment with this. This is just too, Short, but I just, you know, you look at Formula One, which is the world's most popular form of auto racing. I hate to say it. Look what happened down at Austin today with 120,000 people sold out or whatever it was. Um, what was it a two hour race or something yeah. that they have there? I mean, yeah, it's got a two hour limit. Yeah. So it's just, uh, <laughs> they, they figure out a way to do it. Um, it, I, I, I just, Anyway, no, just, I, I've had conversations with a lot of people um, about this within within the industry on the track side, on the NASCAR side, really across the board. And you're right. There has been some hesitation um, to, you know, to really cut races dramatically. Now, NASCAR will say that you don't we, we, we trimmed 100 miles off of the distance at Pocono. Those used to be 500 miles. We did the same thing at Dover. They've looked at some other distances and they've, they've to, to bring those down as well fontana that they cut been, they cut down yep and so what the were the reason that some of the tracks have told me is that they're concerned about trimming it even further back is is you you're going to be giving less product you're going to have to, you theoretically probably have to lower ticket prices and if you lower ticket prices means you're going to be bringing in less money which means then you have to answer to shareholders and everybody else about what are we doing here you know or you know is this really going to bring in more people long-term for us? Or is this just a way to kind of maybe, you know, appease fans in the short term while at the same time it's going to take some money out of our pocket? So there was a lot of considerations that had to be taken into account. I will say this, with NASCAR buying um, ISC and, and making it private, there is certainly more openness and a willingness to kind of experiment a little bit with race distances and maybe saying, hey, we don't have to maybe stick with the 400, 500 mile distances that seem to kind of, you know, are all over the schedule. Now, I'll believe it when I see it, but there is a sentiment that maybe this is something we should need to try, especially if you go to a midweek race, which NASCAR is considering for the Cup Series on, you know, a Wednesday night in the summertime. You, you, that's not, that can't be a four hour race. It just can't be for a lot of different reasons. So I think we're getting there. It, it's just, it's just, it's a lot of hoops to hop through. Well, you're making the Eddie Gossage argument that I've, I've heard so many times where he says, look, our, our fans at Texas, they love racing and you know, they only get to come here a couple times a year and they, they don't want to see less racing and they're going to ask for cheaper ticket prices if we give them less racing. Um, well, 
my thing is, first of all, you, you they had like what thirty thousand people or something. I mean, the crowd looked terrible today. What are they only going to get twenty five thousand people if they don't if they cut you know a hundred miles off the race or something? Five thousand people are going to get mad. I mean, that's not really that much of a difference now. They've already decimated the crowd for the most part. I would argue that if you say to people, "Hey, we're going to give you a much much better race in theory." An action, more action-packed race where you're going to be more entertained overall. Uh, I would think that would get more people overall in the long run than um, if you say, "Oh, you know, you're, you're worried about some people not coming back because you you cut a uh, hundred miles off. And you didn't give them a discount on their tickets." I mean, it's just, I, I just don't. It, I have a hard time buying that. But anyway, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think you have to look long term. You have to look at the big picture and say, "Yeah, this might hurt us short term. This is probably going to cost us some some dollars." But long term, we have a better chance to bring in more people and get them to keep coming back by doing this. And then we'll make the money back down the road. That, that's that. I agree. I, I think that's the philosophy you have to have on this. And I'm hopeful that that sentiment is becoming is becoming kind of more popular um, behind the scenes with the decision makers. And they kind of realize that this is something that needs to happen. Uh, Jordan, anything else you want to talk about from the race, whether Chase Elliott or anything like that, or uh, any other things that we didn't touch on before we move it to the was it a good race poll? No, I mean, on just Chase Elliott, I mean, what a round to forget for Chase Elliott. I mean, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. I mean, this is a driver who had a lot of momentum coming into the, the, the semifinals. Looked like he had a, a good chance to maybe get to Homestead and race for the championship. And it has been a round to forget. And he has 78 points out of the cutoff going into Phoenix. I mean, it is, it is a must win because you can't make up 78 points. I don't think, um, in a weekend. So it's just, it, to me, that was just the thing. It's just, it's everything that can go wrong has gone wrong for that team. And it's, it's been that kind of year for Hendrick motorsports overall. Yeah, no, hard to argue with that. Well, um, Jordan, before we go to the, was it a good race poll? I do want to remind people that actually, I, I think I was corrected last week. I don't think that the deal lasts through, um, the whole rest of playoffs. I think it may be expiring soon. I hope it hasn't expired already. Cause I'm going to talk about it one more time, but if you want to subscribe to the athletic and read all of our content, which is of course behind a paywall, except for this podcast, um, whether it's my 12 question stuff or the top five or Jordan's excellent features or David Smith's analysis of all the numbers where he takes deep dives, Brett Griffin's columns, anything like that. Um, if you go to theathletic.com slash green flag, uh, it's one of your last chances uh, currently to take ad- advantage of this deal, which is 40% off for the annual subscription. So I think it's two ninety nine a month. So um, that is, oh, I hope that deal is still in existence. You may want to give it a try. I, I heard it was ending soon, but I, I forgot the actual date. So, but did want to mention that before we go on to the was a good race poll. So um, Jordan, here we are. This race, uh, I'm going to say was not a good race in my opinion. And I'm going to have a tough time believing that too many people think that it was a great race. So I, who won last week? Did you? I can't remember. Uh, no, I did, I right? I think I did. I don't oh. know. I, you pay, I, yeah. I'll let you win. <laughs> I, I, I don't even remember. I, I, I honestly don't remember what happened last week. It was kind of a whirlwind week for me. So uh, sorry, I can't remember the numbers. But um, I think it was, wasn't it like the lowest Martinsville race or something like that? Yeah, I think it was the it lowest was, Martinsville race in the poll since the poll started. So whoever thought it was going to be low was correct, I guess. Did I think it was going to be lower? You don't. You have no idea either. 
I not I thought it was going to be somewhere. I thought the fight was going to have it a little bit higher than it than it did, but overall, I thought it was going to be low. Okay, maybe you were right. Well, I'm sure one of our listeners will tweet us as they do. <laughs> they they seem to they seem to tweet us and say, um, you know, hey, you were right or Jordan was right or whatever. Um, which full credit to you when you're right. You you've gotten uh, clearly more of them correct this year, but. Um, I'll just go first here. I I think this was not a good race and I don't think people were going to think very highly of it. So I'm going to go ahead and say 38%. Yes. Pretty low. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to do. I I was, Oh really? Well now I feel bad that I went first. No, no, I mean, no, you, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go 35. I, I just, I, I mean, there's not, one big takeaway from this, the, the racing was so-so. Um, a familiar winner, not a lot of drama. I, I just, I, I, Texas is not a fan favorite track. I, I just don't see a lot of positivity or overriding sentiment that's going to boost that number really high. I think it, people are frustrated with kind of this kind of racing, um, and I think that's going to be reflected. Yeah, I think people are going to smash the no button out of like a just an overall frustration. You know, you even even in stage one where there was action, it was action because it was like because of the traction compound and people were you had some of the best drivers in the series making mistakes that were just like, what what is going on here? It wasn't because it was like, oh, this is so exciting and thrilling. It was like, what the heck is happening? So that wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't like some great amazing racing was going on and that was why the wrecks were happening. So yeah, I just don't, I don't see this race rating very well, but I'm, uh, uh, I'm not very hopeful for Phoenix. Actually, I'm hopeful for Homestead. I'm definitely that, more hopeful. I, for I Homestead. think Phoenix is going to be interesting because I think if you look at the guys who Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Larson, and I'll even chase Elliott, all four of the guys on the outside of the, of the cut right now, all four of those guys are more than capable of going to Phoenix and winning that race. They have all done well there in the past. Blaney's come close to winning there. Chase has come close to winning there. Larson's come close to winning there. And Hamlin has won there. So I think that the fact that this is a must-win for those four guys in a lot of respects, I, I do think that's going to be interesting to see how this uh, this unfolds. And I think, like I said earlier, if you're Kyle Busch or you're Kevin Harvick or Martin Truex, you're not cutting in those guys any breaks, whether they're your teammates or not, because you want to make sure that, especially Hamlin and Larson, they don't make it to Homestead with a chance at the championship. So I'm, I am optimistic. I think Phoenix is going to be entertaining. Yeah, but you know, I, I agree with you about the drama part of it because of the playoffs. But as a race itself, if you just talk about the racing, I mean, this package, as we've talked about, uh, on short tracks and one mile tracks, the arrow is definitely going to come into play. It's going to be very hard to pass. So it's going to look like the guys are stuck once again, uh, a la Dover, a la short tracks, whatever. So it's just going to be like, I don't know. That's what I, I hope I'm wrong. Obviously I very open to being wrong. I, I don't want it to be bad. I want something to write about and have exciting things to talk about, but I just, I, I don't know, but we'll let's, you know, we'll, we'll hope for the best and we'll hope that one week from now, we will be talking about what an exciting, thrilling Phoenix race it was. I hope that's the case. So thank you all for listening. Uh, I think this was a spirited discussion for a not not as spirited race. So I'm, I'm happy we, we, I feel like, got a decent discussion out of it at least. So uh, for Jordan Bianchi, I'm Jeff Gluck, and we will talk to you next week on The Teardown.